0: This is another MP3 podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle, Australia.
1: And you're listening to Pet Chat on 2NURFM and our resident vet, one could say, Dr. David Tabret, back with us. Yes, (laughs) because
2: I haven't been here for a few weeks.
1: I still recognise you, it's all right. (laughs) So... Wildlife.
2: I know it's um it's interesting that uh, at various times of the year we do see an increase in numbers and uh, we have we have seen a few more injured wildlife coming through for various reasons. Um, oftentimes, if there is stormy weather, we do see uh, injured young and particularly birds at um, this time of the year. There's a lot of Australian native parrots that breed in the winter rather than you might think, oh, they're spring, and there are some that breed in spring, but there's quite a few parrot species that breed in winter as well. And so the winds come along, blow the young out, and people find them. Now, in a lot of cases, the fledglings, as they're actually starting to learn to fly, the parents kick them out so they can learn to fly, they might spend time sitting on a low branch And that's part of their training. So it doesn't mean that if you find a bird, you necessarily have to, oh, i better rescue it and get it to someone. Probably find the nearest branch or look for a nest and see if you can return it to the nearest tree. Uh, The parents may very often be around and um, watching from afar. Uh, So you need to, if you can, return it. Obviously, if you can see uh, injuries, then best to seek veterinary attention. But uh, we do see a lot of um, young birds that are brought in. That really, the, the best thing that could have happened for them was just for someone to look for a branch to go and put them on, because the poor thing's learning how to fly. Um, <laughs> yes,
1: or it will if it falls off. <laughs> and we
2: take it out of the take it out of the flying environment and go and put it in a a box and take it away from the, its home environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also see, obviously animals that are struck by cars and so on or attacked by dogs and cats so again look after your domestic pets make sure that they're kept locked up at night or on the lead if you're out walking through the bush which is good um, obviously there's leash free areas where you can exercise your pets but that doesn't give you permission for the pet to ru- your dog or cat to, well not your cat but your dog to run off into the bush and track down some wildlife so it's very important that we control domestic pets so that the wildlife that's out there is also looked after an important thing too to remember if you do come across an injured pet probably the easiest thing is um, to be if you can safely is to place it into a box um, perhaps with a towel over it to keep it dark and quiet and then seek attention and that's either
1: what about before you get to the attention what about picking up well
2: There are some very important things, and with uh, Dr. Bob last week covering the subject of Hendra, um, the advice is if we come across an injured bat that's on the ground, or a sick bat, or a dead bat, do not touch it, uh, particularly with bare hands. You're better off to contact someone through either the Native Animal Trust Fund or National Parks and Wildlife Service, because we don't know what the actual risk factor is in handling bats. And the risk of transmission of some of these more uh, or the newer diseases. So um, it's important to make sure that that you realise there are diseases that can be caught from, for instance, some of the wild birds will uh, potentially have chlamydiosis, which is an infection that can spread to people. Um, There are some worm parasite species as well. Um, Possums and bandicoots and things like that might have um, insects on their skin, like lice. Mange mites like scabies, mange. So there's, there are some things you need to be aware of and protect yourself against. If you can, get a get a carer, someone who's experienced in wildlife, to be able to help um, before you approach the animal. If or In some circumstances, I find most people are pretty clever. Pick them up with a towel and pop them in a box and get them somewhere quickly. Very important is not to necessarily think you can take it home and feed it. First of all, it's illegal. Secondly, you're probably going to be causing harm. It is a wild animal, and if it's sitting there not doing anything, not moving, that's because that's a survival reflex. The animal's very often terrified or in a state of shock. Um, rather than just sitting there looking cute, it might be just about to drop dead from fear. So don't muck around with time in terms of keeping it at home and feeding and things like that. Unless advised by someone, you're best to get it to a licensed carer as soon as possible. All wildlife is actually owned by the government, believe it or not. So they're a very often protected species, and the government has the responsibility of making sure that they're kept safe. So what they've done is, through the national parks, they have licensed carers and licensed groups who are able to provide support volunteer groups in the community. Uh, And in this region... In Newcastle, we rely on the Native Animal Trust Fund and there are other groups in other areas. But all of those carers have to go through courses to be able to fulfil those roles. So um, they're in the phone book and uh, if you do come across some wildlife, as I said, if you can safely pop it in a box, get in contact with someone, they'll be able to provide the right advice.
1: Danny Boss, you're listening to Pet Chat, by the way, and we are talking some kinds of pets at the moment.
3: Snakes. Your favourite subject, <laughs> Love them. Snakes. Love Brad West from Blackbutt Butt Reserves joined us on the show. Welcome to the show, Brad. Thank you for your time.
0: Yeah, good morning. How are you going?
3: Good, thank you, mate. Um, first of all, congratulations on your new pythons, Trent and Kasher, is it?
0: Yes, it is. Yeah, they're two snakes that have just been recently donated. Um, so, yeah, Trent, a male, naturally, and Kasher, his girlfriend.
3: And what type of pythons are they?
0: Now, these guys are a diamond python. A lot of people sort of relate them to carpet pythons. Close relative, but yeah, a diamond python's got more prolific markings and a bit brighter than a carpet python.
3: And are they fully grown?
0: Yes, they are. Uh, I wouldn't would say fully grown. They can grow up to about three metres. Right. Um, ours are getting close to probably the 1.8 metre mark. Okay. And yeah, full diameter, yes.
3: And, and what happened to your old pythons that you had?
0: Um, unfortunately, someone wanted them more than what we did, so, yeah, back in, um, yeah, back in April, someone broke into our exhibit and smashed the exhibit and basically stole the snakes, which is very unfortunate.
3: Yep. And I believe that happened once before, but they were returned.
0: Yeah, that was a few years beforehand. Um, we didn't have the security that we had, uh, last time, or it's even been upgraded now, but, yeah, so, basically, um, Jewel we had, uh, oh, actually, Fluffy, sorry, Fluffy was one of our snakes, and she... Yeah, it was, it was stolen, went missing for two or three years, and then the person who ever took them obviously um, didn't want her anymore and they returned it to Blackbutt. <laughs> wow.
3: <laughs> okay, so if if um, if um they come back again, I guess, it'll be a crowded family, won't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I don't hold... Uh, hold great hopes that they might come back because whoever um, took them put a lot of effort into taking them oh, and caused okay. a lot of damage so yes. um, let's just hope she or well, they are in a happy place now and the, the new owners are looking after them.
3: Now are the carpet or diamond pythons poisonous?
0: No they're not. They're um, basically a non-venomous snake so naturally, there's two types of snakes, venomous and non-venomous um, and these guys basically when they grab their, their, their food or their prey they constrict or choke um, the the prey and that's how they kill them basically
3: oh okay Ros and in talking about prey what do they eat um so
0: rodents is probably one of their higher um, menus for the okay. guys um, yep. so rats mice little guinea pigs and things like that yes And right. the while they eat birds and eggs and also um, other reptiles
3: okay I see oh, other smaller reptiles I guess
0: yes they so, yes
3: Okay, and they would, say in an example of the rodent, they would catch the rodent and then they constrict.
0: Yeah, so what happens is, um, with a python, they've got a lot of teeth inside their mouth mouth that face inwards, so it's similar to a a shark's mouth, I guess you could say. Yes. They grab onto it and and push down naturally, and the the rodent or the prey can't escape because it's grabbed into its teeth, and then it wraps itself around it, and every time it takes a breath, it tightens and tightens and tightens until it can't breathe anymore oh. and yeah, constricts it. And then the the jaw of a snake dislocates and they swallow them whole. So it's quite a unique or an interesting way to watch a snake eat something.
3: And where do they come from?
0: Uh, around this area. like um, Snakes come all over Australia, but especially on the east coast of Australia, that's where you're diamond pythons, and that's why a lot of people see them around here, down Swansea Way. They're a sort of a coastal sort of animal um, yeah, that that can climb trees and... Anywhere there's food sources, basically, where you'll find a snake.
3: And during this time of the year, though, would they be hibernating?
0: Yes, very dormant this time of year. Um, Over the summer months, like all reptiles, they're cold-blooded, so they can um, get a lot of energy from their sun to warm up, and then they go looking for food. But they're basically dormant, and what happens is they just curl up under a log somewhere nice and dry if they can get it. Um, they can still move, but they have very, very low energy and they can't sort of go hunting food. So, over the summer, sorry, over the winter months, they basically go dormant and yeah, don't eat.
3: So, now, reptile ownership is uh, becoming popular. Why is a Diamond Python, why does it make a good pet?
0: Um, they don't make noise. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so people like, a, I guess, a unique um, animal these days. It's sort of everyone's got cats and dogs and things like that. And believe a or not, snake does make a very nice pet. They're quiet, like I said, they don't make much noise. Um, they're very easy to feed. They don't take up a lot of room in your house. They, they don't smell a lot. Um, and they've just got a lot of unique features, how they move. And, yeah, you can sit there and watch them and just how the whole... I guess, um, yeah, the whole reptile exposure works for the, with the the owner of the pet. So, yeah, they're quite unique. And it, it's a growing um, a growing pet, I guess
3: you could say. Yes, it is. Do they require a lot of maintenance, though?
0: No, not really. Um, yeah, just basically feed every week or two weeks over the summer period. And then, um, as I said, like in the winter period, feeding drops right down so they don't do much. You can sort of stimulate them by having a bit warmer um, enclosure for them. Um, and, yeah, they... Yeah, they're, they're, they're quite a good pet and yeah, people seem to enjoy them a lot more than what they used to back in the, I guess, the traditional pet days.
3: Yes, that's right. Well, Brad, as always, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much for your time. No problems at all. Enjoy your day. This is Pet Chat. Your
1: call is very welcome, 49216216, to get your question through to our vet, Dr. David Tabret. And right at the moment, I should tell you there is a multi-car accident on Sandgate Road on the Shortland side of the railway on the overpass and do expect delays if you're going around that area. Best to avoid it if you can and do take care on the roads. A bit of wet makes a bit of a tricky thing. Now, we do have a movie premiere coming, a movie preview coming up. It's 2NURFM's Newcastle preview of the great program, the great film Red Dog, and that's happening on Wednesday, the 3rd of August. And, of course, we are giving you chances to win tickets and you'll hear those invitations to call in if you want a ticket to go. To the, uh, preview, the preview of a Red Dog. Now, Danny, we've got a special ha- thing happening at this preview as well.
3: We do, Jane. And uh, what we'll be doing is on the day, uh, the Pet Job Boys team will be there and we'll be giving out show bags with lots of different discount vouchers and some presents as well. But, uh, we'll also have groomers there who'll be giving out discount vouchers and dog tech, the animal behavioralist will be giving out discount vouchers. So if you can make it, go in the, you know, call up, get your tickets because it certainly will be worthwhile if you've got a pet because you'll get all these uh, show bags and discount vouchers that you can use on your pet. Tell them how much you love them.
1: Are you going to be bringing your Loved pet along too. Okay.
3: So then we'll have the groomers will be bringing on along their poodle, which poodles always look wonderful once they're being groomed, <laughs> specifically groomed, uh, like a poodle should be groomed. Um, and then, uh, of course, I'll be bringing along the Weimaraners. Ah. Yes. And uh, Leg- legend, will oh. legend will be there. Legend will be there. And he's a legend. He finished off 2010 as the number one Weimaraner in the country in the show dog uh, arena. So you can meet Legend and see all the stuff that he does. <laughs> Fantastic. (laughs)
2: I'm I'm impressed, Danny. Are you going to be there as well, David? Are you inviting me? You can come along. Do I have to ring in and get a ticket, or can I just (laughs) come along I think we can make an exception for you.
3: Oh, okay. So that's another thing. You can meet meet Dr. Dave live there in person.
2: Wednesday the 3rd of August. I'll check my diary, but that sounds all right.
3: Have your list of questions.
2: Well... Don't wait till then. They can ring in now.
1: 49216216. That's the number that will get you through to Dave today.
2: Um, We just had a call before from David up at uh, Raymond Terrace, or he was ringing about apparently um, at an area up there where the um, garbage trucks go, there's a way bridge, and he said there's a red-bellied black snake, and very close to the road and to the boulders, um, but the interesting thing he commented on, which I thought was very um, pertinent, is that um, this snake's been there for ages and been well known to everybody, red belly black, so it's a venomous snake, but it's been left alone, and it's in its environment. It is visible from where people are travelling past, but uh, the good thing is that the snake's keeping to itself, and the public are keeping to itself, and that's the, that's the wisest thing, and Snakes in the wild, uh, the most injuries or reasons that people get bitten is when they go to try and pick it up or to kill the snake. So um, we don't, if a pet or a person gets bitten, we don't need the dead snake to do identification. We really? And well, we have a test for that. Ah. So we don't need the dead snake, although if it is dead in the process, I guess bring it in, but be very, very careful uh, because the head or the fangs can still contain venom and if you have a scratch on your hand, it could get into your skin. But, um, yeah, this little uh, red belly black up there, coexisting at the moment. They're, so not a, good.
3: they're not a snake that willingly attacks you either, are they? No, no. no, of course not. That's Most right.
2: snakes, it's a defensive mechanism. So mm. if we stay out of their, their way, they should stay out of ours. Yes.
3: Hmm.
1: And speaking about venomous snakes um, and attacking snakes, do we have many aggressive snakes around our area?
2: Uh, oh, not really i think I think danny 's point is true is that snakes generally want to keep to themselves, but look the reason that they venomous snakes uh, have have venom and have fangs is that it 's a way for them to catch their prey, but it 's also a defensive mechanism so if a snake 's cornered and you 're cutting off its uh way to get away, of course it 's going to defend itself by biting. Um, and there's probably some species, I know the eastern browns tend to be a bit more easily riled and a bit more aggressive in that case, but if you give them a way to get out, they'll prefer to get away. Um, So as I said, stay back and don't uh, think that you need to go in and grab the snake, or I saw it on television once and I'll do it now. Well, no, just stay back because otherwise it's going to be harmful. And particularly with some of these species, you know, we're talking the deadliest snakes in the world.
1: Danny, boss, you've got an interesting topic.
3: Well, Jane, we know of instances where some people are allergic to dogs. So they they can't have a dog in the family because they're allergic to them. Apparently, the allergens are caused by certain proteins that are found in uh, dogs' hair follicles and dander as well. So... If you tend to be prone to something like this and you already have a dog, regular washing of the dog can reduce the chances of that happening. However, saying that, there are also breeds out there of dogs who are known as hypoallergenic. And they don't have these problems. And people with allergies can own one of these breeds without fearing that they'll get an allergic reaction. And some of these breeds are poodles. Schnauzers, Bichon Free, Chinese Crested Dogs, which have very limited amount of hair, don't they, Dr. Davis? Yeah. <laughs> Irish Water Spaniels, Australian Silky Terriers, Italian Greyhounds, Maltese Dog, Yorkshire Terriers, and Sky Terriers. Uh, so these breeds are all preferred or preferential pets for allergy sufferers.
2: Yeah, What I think um, what these breeds share in common is that they don't tend to shed as much hair or skin. Uh, dander, but uh, if you took the protein from the dog, from its hair, mushed it up, injected it into allergic people, they would still get a reaction, but yeah. it's, it's a sort of less is more in that, um, you're not getting exposed to as much. And interestingly, you know, the occupation that has the most, um, risk of dog allergies. Which one? Vets. Vets. <laughs>
1: Why are we not surprised? <laughs> <laughs> We've got a caller four nine two one six two one six is for your calls to come through to David and Gail joins us from Windermere Park.
2: Hi, Gail. How are you going?
1: Good afternoon. I'm
4: well, thank you. I just have a question. My five and a half year old cocker spaniel is going for a dental descaling under general anaesthetic on Friday, mm-hmm. and the vet gave me an option. Um, should I give him IV fluids and I thought, well, it shouldn't be a big procedure. Does he really need IV fluids? Um, is that necessary for him to have
2: IV fluids? It's a really good question. And um, it's something that we've seen a lot more of over the years. My, The approach I would take is a, there's a number of things to consider. So... We'll just quickly touch on them. We won't have time to go through it all. But first of all is the length of the procedure, as you alluded to. So it really depends on what the degree of dental disease is. And some dogs, it's just they've got a bit of tartar there, a bit of plaque, and they need to have them scaled, um, need to have the roots scaled as well, which is under the gum. That's one of the things about dental disease you can't always see. And just a quick note for people to, for their own pet to have a look, we do a thing called Flip the Lip. So you just lift the lip up and have a look. If you see discoloration on their teeth, that's uh, tartar or and pl- or plaque um, building up. But uh, if you see a red line along the gum, that indicates gingivitis and inflammation, and that's a bit more serious. So the procedure is one thing, how long it is. If any teeth need to be extracted, that would be more of a concern. Um, the other thing, I guess, is in relation to uh, your dog and its um, any other medical conditions, its previous history with anaesthetics. Um, He's never
4: had one before. Yeah.
2: What um, about I, it? Was she desexed? Uh, he, oh,
4: he. Oh, yeah. When he had. Yeah. He. When he had it, yeah, He was desexed. Yeah. Okay. So. About nine months, yeah.
2: Yep. Um, yeah. If it's a straightforward procedure, it, it can vary in time depending on the experience of the person and uh, the equipment, but. A simple descale where all the teeth are being descaled and cleaned could take you know half an hour, but if it's um, anything more than that or where any teeth need to be assessed or extracted, then the procedure starts to get a bit longer. The reason why we use intravenous fluids during anaesthetic procedures is a number of things. One is that very often food and water is withheld from animals before they uh, undergo an anaesthetic. And so they might be partially dehydrated at the time, which means their blood volume might be a little bit down. So that's a reason. The second thing is that we're giving drugs intravenously, and so we often have um, access into a vein through a catheter. Uh, so, you know, it's useful then to just have fluids running. Yes, the thir- it
0: sounds a reasonable
2: thing. Yeah, the third thing is that a lot of the drugs can induce low blood pressure. So some of the anesthetic drugs um, that we use and the sedatives can induce low blood pressure and obviously every dog will be different as to how they react. The last thing um, I would want is for a pet that we actually have a problem and we don't have intravenous access. We may not necessarily have to have IV fluids running, but if there's a procedure goes for anything more than 20 minutes, um, very often... I think they benefit from it at the time, and particularly their recovery seems to be a lot better. Uh, They they wake up better as well. And if um, if you're not looking at blood pressure, then very often you don't see a problem. But as soon as someone starts watching the blood pressure and measuring it, then they go, "Oh, gee, that's getting a bit low," Um, and we'll adjust the anesthetic and add intravenous fluids. So um, it can for a five and a half year old may not be a critical thing but it often adds a degree of safety for you as well. Yeah,
0: precautionary thing. Good,
2: mm.
1: thank you very much. That's thanks. all right. You're listening to Pet Chat, and we have a call from Linda, who's rung in from Belmont.
2: Hi, Linda, how are you going?
1: Not too bad, thanks.
2: Now, what what are you ringing <laughs> well, I've, about I've your Jack little, Russell?
1: Um,
4: Jack Russell, he's across cross She She's across cross Maltese. Mm-hmm. Um, I take her on my scooter every time I go shopping and she's wonderful, she just sits there no matter how long I'm in the shops. Oh, good and on She'll her. just, and, lump it up and people go up and pat her and all she does is wag her tail. Oh, okay. She's almost perfect except, not in the shopping centres, but outside. She, if she sees a dog, even across the road, or, or a quarter of a kilometre up the front, or yeah. she barks at the dogs. Oh, well. And she just keeps on barking. Does normally she? She, yep. she, she? she's very obedient. Yes. Um, but no, she won't take it and it for me. Um, when, only when she's on the scooter, she'll bark at these dogs.
2: Does she bark at dogs when she's at home and someone goes past?
4: If she... Yeah, uh, you know, I've got two Malamites next door. And yes. If they bark, well, then she runs to she's the window st- and barks with them. But not always. I take her off the scooter for a walk, you know. Yes. She's past dogs.
2: She's... um. Very well behaved to sit there like she does.
4: She, she, I've, I've had her sitting there for half an hour in the shopping centre.
2: Mm, oh, right goodness. Well, we'd we better not tell too many people. They'll want her as their pet because she's extremely <laughs> well behaved. A barking behaviour is, um, look, obviously a normal thing for dogs. And the purpose of it is as an alarm. It can be as a communication. But um, in this case, it's probably... You know, either an alarm, like, look out, there's a dog ahead, or excitement, um, there's a dog I want to go and play with, or,
4: yeah, you know. She, yeah, she, she sounds aggressive.
2: Oh, I'm sure she's... She probably sounds a lot worse than what she looks, I gather. Oh,
4: yeah, once well, she gets up to the dog. And yes. Also, you know, she'll as long as she noses them, then she's all right, she doesn't bark.
2: Um, very often uh, she might see that as her role. So she thinks that that's her job. And one oh. of the things is how you react to it. Now, if if she barks and you constantly talk to her, she doesn't understand what you're saying, but mm. she understands that she barked, she got your attention, and you're giving her attention, therefore the barking oh, did God. what it was supposed to do. Mm. Not the easiest habit to break out of, and perhaps not always that you want her to stop doing that sort of thing. Um, and it might just be that uh, she needs to res- realise that once she has got your attention, then she can stop barking.
4: All right. So
2: the way to do this is that you need to have. I just have...
4: want a two perfect dog.
2: I well, <laughs> <laughs> it's good that you've got one that's behaving quite well for you because it makes life a lot easier. That's for sure.
4: Oh, oh yes, and even then, when she's out walking, I've got on the other I'm on the scooter. Come on, come on, on the scooter, straight on out and on to what she gets.
2: Uh. <laughs> Well, it's good she gets her exercise anyway. Oh, no,
4: she gets plenty of exercise.
2: Yeah, sometimes sometimes you can get her to stop this behaviour by using food treats, but I'm, I'm more inclined to say, look, if she's doing it like that and the rest of her behaviour is okay, I think she's doing pretty well. Uh, oh, right. And just let her know that you've heard her, and then if she continues to bark, just ignore her. Yes. All right, okay. and then she'll realise, oh, you're not listening to me anymore, I'll stop. <laughs> All right.
1: Thank you very much. Good That's luck right. with that, Linda, thanks, Linda. And thanks for your call. On to on your IFM, that just about brings us to the end of Pet Chat today. Thank you, David Taverage. Thanks, Jane. And thank you, Danny Boss. We'll be thank you. back Goodbye. next Wednesday after the midday news.